Hello, everybody. It's August 25th, and I want to welcome you to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border is Siksika, Ganai, and Pakani of the Confederacy. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley, Chiniki, Bearspaw Nation, and Sutina Nation. We acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, and other status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that it can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down the Red Road. My name is Michelle Robinson. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman. I was born Michelle Elliott, which is another very English-sounding name, which has afforded me incredible privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. My father is so Canadian that I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I was also born in Calgary. Why acknowledging my lineage and where I was born matters is because even though I'm native, and even though I was born here, my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories, and my indigenous nation still roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tine Indehe, or Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede in Dene. My cousins are the Sutina. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. A huge thank you to Kenny, Sharon, Diana, Judy, Nathan, and Amanda. Oh, no, and now we have Julie. She also is new. Um, NativeYYC at gmail.com if you have any questions or concerns. Violence against Indigenous people is just my reality. Every generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast to just speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people who do not want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell me about theirs. And also there are a lot of people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. People are gatekeepers uh, and survive off the status quo, and people who are really in their trauma who try to stop a lot of the work and deplete the resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people, and it's sad I needed a podcast for that boundary, but here we are. My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to understand these present-day issues in a way that they can understand down the road. Uh, I usually put in a lot of cultural safety into action, and I think I'll talk about that in my next podcast, because today I'm really lucky to have a friend of mine that I've just met recently on Facebook, and he does a wonderful page called Reconciliation Thunder that talks about reconciliation. So I want to introduce James. Hi, James. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, really excited that you, we could connect. I know uh, when we were talking via Facebook that you were saying that you were in a reconciliation training. And, you know, I just wanted to ask you, what are, why does reconciliation matter so much to you? Well, there's, it, 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 it's sort of a recent thing. Like when, you, when I was younger, I didn't know a whole lot about um, anything to do with uh 
why there are such disparities between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. And uh, I think what really started to, to take hold of me was when um, I Will No More was happening and I saw all the protests and everything that was going on and it just just awakened this curiosity within me. I call it a, a furious curiosity. And uh, I just began to ask questions. And one of the one of the pivotal moments for me, one of the first light bulbs that went on, was when I saw a documentary on the Oka crisis. Mm. And I could not believe that in 1990 that the Canadian Army was called in to, you know, to fight against Indigenous peoples who were basically just defending, you know, the right to, you know, their prayer to preserve their burial grounds and. Like, that would never happen in a non-Indigenous graveyard. And so I'm, I'm just asking all these questions. What's the difference? Is it because we have tombstones that don't? And, and this began just this huge trail of questions, which led, which led to other questions. And uh, I remember uh, I was working, I began to to just, just really uh, take every opportunity as I was working through my MBA degree to, to take on research projects and to interview professors, indigenous professors, and, and to learn as much as I could as fast as I could. And one of the one of the pivotal things for me was reading the final report of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and just, you know, just even though I was in a public place, just having these tears just start flowing, because I began to all of a sudden realize the gravity of what had happened. And uh, it created just a, a sense of change. And I think... Why do I care so much about reconciliation? Because I think that there's so many people in this world that are essentially wanting to do good things. And I think that they just don't have the information or the education that they need. So for me, in my life, the big change was learning about our colonial history and learning about all the factors that precipitated how we are where we are today, from the early political economy to till today. And I think if people just knew these things, I think if they just had knowledge of these things, then we can have a significant, uh, we can, we have a significant chance to live at a world where we, in a world where we are reconciled. And so, yeah, that's what's behind my page is just trying to do the same thing, just try to share what I've learned and need to educate, educate people. And yeah, that's, that's really in a nutshell why I care so much about reconciliation. Yeah, I really related to so much that you had to say. Um, I remember growing up, I was uh, separated from my mom, and my mom is my Indigenous um, side. And when I would be on visits, I would hear these small little snippets, like, you know, my grandmother went to school as early as two and was there for until she was 18. So she was there for 16 years. And that didn't make any sense to me. And then she only came out with a grade nine education. So that didn't make any sense to me. And there were just these small little snippets that were said, and I never really understood why it was the way it was. And, um, you know, I had this uh, belief system. I would get this free university education if I just showed up at the university and showed my Indian at card. And, you know, I just, I didn't know. I didn't know uh, so many things. And, you know, I was told so many colonial narratives that I didn't know what to believe. I was truly um, under the impression that uh, despite my marks at at school, um, and they they were great marks, that 
I was destined to live a life of alcoholism and, you know, all these awful things that you would ho- I'd always heard perpetrated in the media. And by my um, non-Indigenous family, I just had these assumptions. And then when I started to, um, in, I had my daughter when in 2007, and that was just at that critical time of, you know, the conversation of Indian residential schools. And it just worked out really well in that sense that I could try to understand why it is things are the way they are. And I still started to really um, decolonize or look at that, you know, racial lens that's always been forced upon me and realize, wow, this whole time I was, I didn't understand this, all of this. So, you know, I felt very much similar in the sense that I would go and, um, you know, research more about what happened at these Indian residential schools. And then when the TRC was going around, um, I went up to Edmonton and my family, my my mother and my granny and my uncle who went to um, Indian residential school, they all lived there. So I went up there and actually went to the TRC with them. And um, life changing, 100% life changing to, uh, you know, see so many Indigenous people in one spot, number one, that was amazing. But number two, just to know we all have this collective pain that was, you know, we were like gaslit for all of these decades about um, our trauma, our issues and the abuses upon us by the government. And uh, it was just such a healing moment as as painful as it was. It was it was really healing. So I've always thought, you know, I've been given incredible amounts of privilege in order to be in this position right now and now that I'm here and I know what happened, the very least I can do is try to, you know, start, I don't know what reconciliation is. And I heard a speaker last night say he doesn't even like the term reconciliation because it somehow implies that we were ever reconciled. And I've heard others say, you know, we never did anything wrong in this relationship either. So I don't know what that term reconciliation really means. And I know that is a conversation we're having a lot. But I think the very least we can do is honor those 94 calls to action that um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission put together. I remember hearing, um, it might have either been uh, Sinclair or a little child, talk about the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People. It has over 400 recommendations and they were never implemented. So they were really conscious of that, that they wanted to narrow it down and that they were really conscious of calling them calls to action and not recommend recommendations. And I thought that was brilliant. Um, but I thought, you know, that's, that's a call to action for me that for some reason we had to sacrifice over 300 recommendations in order to really compile this into these, this small little narrow framework to try to work with Canada on, which I think is incredibly unfair burden for the um, commissioners to have to put together but at the same time you know um, it's something we can work towards it it's manageable at the very least if we devoted well if I devoted my entire life towards these 94 calls to action I, that will be so much it's like so incredible and I'm, I hope we can surpass those <laughs> yeah yeah I, uh, I I resonate a lot with that I mean uh the, the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People is one of the one of the the key documents that really answered a lot of questions for me, specifically like the the four stages paradigm that was used. And um, it, it's interesting. Um, I taught a course on this. That uh, I taught an undergraduate course on this, and uh, I did a an exercise where I got my students to look through the ninety four calls to action, the the document, and um, 
And just if there's a term or a phrase or a concept that you don't understand, just go write it on the board. And uh, we did that exercise for about 10 minutes. And the thing that surprised me was that the board was filled. It was filled with all these different terms in just 10 minutes. And so you begin to realize that um, the commissioners who put these 94 calls together, they, they put a lot of research in and they put a lot of thought into this. Um, it, it's a way of, you know, preventing these calls to action from being put on the shelf, just like the, like the RCAP was. It was put on the shelf. It was, there was a 20 year plan. 20 years later, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And I think it was very strategic and really, really smart of them to shift it over to make this public knowledge and just to make these recommendations um, actionable to everybody. And, uh, and the way that they compacted that information was to refer to outside documents like UNDRIP and, uh, and, uh, you know, Jordan's principle. And the, uh, the average person on the street reading this might not understand what these terms are, but it gives you a reference point to look deeper into it. I think that each call to action could have its own, uh, you know, its own YouTube channel, its own class, its own course. And, uh, I think, I think they did that intentionally. So I think, uh, yeah, I I have a lot of hope, and uh, I'm very uh, I'm very optimistic that you know this time around uh, that this strategy can work. Oh, I I share that optimism. I think there's been a incredible shift thanks to social media, and I find that uh, that's what's so empowering about what you're doing with that reconciliation thunder page. Um, mm. This podcast has been incredibly liberating to me. Um, have you ever heard of the term uh, coding? Coding? Yeah. Coding yeah, is... Uh, I, uh, maybe I'll just explain it for our, our listeners, but our coding yeah. to... And I, I realized I asked that question. I apologize for interrupting. Um, <laughs> it was just recently uh, talked about last night, and it was that conversation that you have when you're at work and how different it is than when it's just you and I, or how different it is when you're like with your family, or how different it is when you're in a situation that you know, um, you know you're the minority. And... Um, yeah, I just find that uh, the podcast and the work that you're doing is just kind of so liberating from that coding where it's just that, you know, we have to code in order to survive in this world. And I uh, really just want to be myself and thrive in this world <laughs> and, and allow that of my daughter and the next generations, of course, to, to, to do that. And I just find this um, incredibly liberating. But I want to ask you a little more about your page and... Um, you know, what it took, the process it took in order to uh, get that going. Yeah, so I started with an idea that I've had years ago, and but I never really felt uh, that it was the time was right to get started on it because I didn't feel like I learned enough. And I think that what, what gave me the confidence was when I taught my first course on it. Then um, I've also always had uh, a passion for media and just, uh, you know, creative video editing and that type of a thing. So I, I bought myself, uh, I bought myself Adobe Cloud and I just began to teach myself it, um, you know, uh, on, on my own time. What I did actually, the, where this, where this came from is after I taught the course, I just wanted to get the information out to everybody that I cared about, all my friends and family and that kind of a thing. And so, uh, it was my birthday shortly after that. So I did a bit of a bait and switch here. Like I, I invited everybody that cared about my friends, family all together. And uh, me and my wife, we put on this dinner for everyone. 
and 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 just just for the sake of gathering everyone together and and I gave them this presentation of everything that I had learned um, in, in the past couple of years and uh, and it didn't work out too well. It was basically I was fire hosing them and uh, and 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 you know uh, people didn't uh, receive it the way that I would have liked. So we went back to the drawing board and we said we need a different format. Like for number one, that was kind of expensive and isn't sustainable. Uh, but number two, you need to break it off into bite-sized pieces that people can just take. The same way that I learned it, I learned it bit by bit over a period of time. And mm-hmm. so people, that's how people learn. So then I thought again to be like, hey, I want to get this information out to as many people as possible for free in a way that they can process it. So then that's where the page came from. And so, and the best place to start is with the 94 calls to action. Yeah. So what I did is I, I looked at, uh, you know, um, this uh, Adobe Cloud. And uh, I had actually some friends of mine, uh, two other Indigenous friends of mine, we did our MBA program together. And uh, we put together our own industry project, which is a course on its own for the MBA program. And uh, our, our course that we put together for ourselves was uh, a chance to create teaching videos for the undergraduate program at uh, the Asperger School of Business. So teaching them about call to action 92 and teaching them about potential business uh, cases for uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous people doing business together in the province of Manitoba. And uh, so we made these teaching videos for uh, professors to use as tools to teach their undergraduate business students about these topics. So that gave me a little bit of a background in terms of, you know, uh, fiddling around with the programming, uh, Adobe, uh, Adobe InDesign, Adobe, uh, yeah, just the different programs in Creative Cloud. And, uh, so, so, so I just started with, uh, the 94 calls to action, doing one video per day for 94 days and just inviting everybody who, uh, who was interested. And, uh, it just sort of, it just sort of picked up, um, as, People would like the page, they would see the calls and they would invite their friends and share the videos on the walls. And it's at the point where, uh, at, at first, you know, the first couple of calls, they got uh, an engagement about, you know, 300, 400. And the last call that I did, uh, and this 8,000, because of this whole, you know, uh, the current issue with the monument. It was mm. the call to action that was talking about, uh, the need to build a residential schools monument in every city. That one went. That one was was uh, was shared uh, so many times. It had, it had an engagement of eight thousand four hundred people because of this. Uh, the current issues with uh, with the statues being removed and that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, that's where it came from. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you if you don't mind sharing, and if you don't, uh, you don't have to. We can uh, edit it out. But I just wanted mm-hmm. to invite you to explain why it was that when you had your gathering with your family why some of it just wasn't well received. Why do you think that really was? I think that uh, I a lot of people were not sure. Uh, there's just this dynamic of it was a birthday party and uh, I think that uh, I think that uh, I it, I probably should have just advertised this as, you know, this is a reconciliation event. Please come and watch it mm-hmm. rather than, you know, uh, this is my birthday party, please come. And, uh, you know, so just sort of like, I, I think I should have been more clear with everybody as to what it was about. And um, also just uh, my lecture was way too long, I think. I think I was trying to be too ambitious too fast. 
right. if I was to do something like it again, I would be very clear on what the event is about. I would hold it for anybody who's interested in learning. Please come and uh, and I would do it bit by bit. At the end, at the end of the presentation, we had a, a panel discussion. I was able to get somebody from that I had known from the city of Winnipeg to come. Um, one of the, my professors, a former chief, and uh, somebody who's somebody else who has a, a nonprofit in in the city of Winnipeg working with reconciliation, and we had a great uh, uh, there was a great potential for a good discussion, but I think uh, we ran out of time. So there's it's a couple of things is, is just logistics, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, um, I think that uh, yeah, in order to teach the volume of material I wanted to teach, I think it needed a different medium. Fair. Wow. Um, one of the things that you had said earlier, too, was the idea that you could almost have a whole course on each call to action. And, yeah. you know, man, I just feel like uh, it. some days I feel really overwhelmed with what we need to teach everybody. And then other days mm-hmm. it's like, you know, this we are not technically the um, educators of the structure that, you know, all kids learn in curricula. <laughs> <laughs> but I, sometimes I feel that burden and uh you know so it's really great to hear your experience on that and I appreciate you sharing that um here in Calgary I've been working on a book club I, I launched it with Carolyn Bennett's uh call to you know start indigenous reads so we have a monthly book club where we uh deal with all sorts of books and we did the 94 calls to action and of course the feedback on that was we need to break it down so we're in the process of breaking it down and honestly um you know, people want to read really great books. Our next book is The uh, Seven Fallen Feathers. I want to read that book. Um, but at the same time, you know, always talking about reconciliation and the calls to action that relate to the book, um, to try, always try to bring it back to that so that you're really like thinking and processing the concept of reconciliation and where, say, that a justice call to action failed in this book or, um, you know, just the structure of of racism against Indigenous people had, and how it's impacted in different books as well. So it's sometimes overwhelming, I'm not going to lie. And we had to, um, well, and what happened was I brought my daughter to one and the feedback from people, I could tell had really hurt my daughter. So I really had to, and I, I stress it now on my podcast, I have to talk about cultural safety boundaries. And, um, and now we let Indigenous people in the room speak first, always. Because, number one, I think everybody wants to hear their opinion more, their experience more, their lived experience more, uh, maybe their education behind whatever that looks like. And um, if we run out of time, we run out of time. And, you know, one of the feedbacks I always get is, you know, it's not long enough and it's two hours. And it's a pretty big deal to get people to commit to a book club once a month. Um, I was recently invited by the Calgary Catholic, um, well, a friend actually who works for Calgary Catholic schools. And she had started her own internalized book club and it took them six months to do one book. So I thought, um, I'm think I'm, I'm actually incredibly ambitious then to try to do it once a month. But, uh, you know, it's just hard. It's a, it's a lot of information to pack into these conversations, but I'm really grateful at the work you're doing. It's a lot easier for me to see what you're doing and share those videos, especially when it relates to the work that I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And I just, I know collectively, we have to just tap into the people that want to learn because like I had conversations this week, there are people that just don't want to hear it, don't want to learn. And I think the statue issue really brought all of that up as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I I hear you. The um, sometimes it can be overwhelming because you know those of us who spend the time learning, you know, to this extent, you realize there's so much to learn. And 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 I I remember thinking at the beginning that uh, you know you look at other people, uh, you know, uh, great initiatives, and uh, and you think, you know. You, you just wonder where the onus is in terms of who does the teaching, but I think that it's anybody who has the ability to do anything on it. Like, we just need everybody. We need, like, all hands working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was, I was, just came out of training today at, uh, you know, the, the Circles for Reconciliation that, uh, Dr. Raymond Curie is doing here in Winnipeg. And, uh, he, he gave a really insightful statistic. And, um, there was, uh, there was research that was conducted that said that, uh, there is, a certain percentage of Canadians who are not knowledgeable about our indigenous colonial history and that don't care. I think that they're, the percentage, um, uh, don't quote me on it, but I think it was something around, uh, uh, 20% or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then he was saying there's also, uh, a percentage that are really knowledgeable and are really active in, uh, and, and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that percentage was somewhere around uh, 12%. Uh, if I'm, rem- I'm just pulling these off as best as I can remember. And he was also saying that there is a percentage that is really caring about it, like that is really empathetic, but doesn't know a whole lot. And uh, that's typically the younger demographic in Canada. And so for me, when I think about what I'm doing with Reconciliation Thunder and uh, and what you're doing with your podcast, I think those are those are really the uh, the demographic that is going to be listening to the content that we're both putting out, and uh, and I think that uh, it's there's a hunger for this information, yeah, for sure. There's some that are apathetic, but you know that's fine. Let them be where they are. But I think there is a real interest in people wanting to know. Oh, I agree. We have uh, here in Calgary. There's a, a TP that went up right by the Calgary courts and uh, there's a gentleman that's in there right now and he said that he's doing a lot of cultural teaching and there is a curiosity I mean you know you get the odd person who's uh, obviously there just to be berate people but um, I was in KFC yesterday and I got to witness a couple berating non-indigenous people um, who were obviously newer well they had accents you know one was um, Asian one was black and they were they just took it upon themselves to be rude. So I took it upon myself to just stand there and start videotaping. And then, man, did that ever de-escalate that situation quickly? So, <laughs> you know, I think people are like, because of all of this media that we have access to, it's changing everything. And I heard that, uh, you know, when I said coding, I didn't even think, you know, I'm talking about it in a racial way, but um, my daughter just took a, uh, uh, ingenious this um summer camp for kids and it's run by engineers from the ufc and she had a great time and she did coding but my when we're talking coding it sounded more like the coding you're talking about when doing the adobe and (laughs) some of the other programming you had to do to make this a thing so (laughs) i don't know how to that that, that's a funny conversation in itself isn't it (laughs) yeah well, that's the first definition that came to mind when I heard the word co- word coding. <laughs> it kind of dawned on me after. I'm like, I should probably bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the, great. The, 
the definition of coding that you're working with is coding in terms of like uh, sociological profiling almost, just like just having uh, people fit into certain boxes and and uh, and preconceived expectations just based on uh, what's been passed on for yeah. through whatever through whatever medium, whether it's through parents or media or that type of thing. That's that's what you're referring to with your coding, right? Absolutely. I almost wish we could mm-hmm. video each other so that that way you could just see me nodding along with everything you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, uh, yeah, well, maybe as soon as one reconciliation funder actually picks up and I, we could do a, a Skype, uh, Skype interview or something like that back, back this way. Cause, uh, most of my, most of my, uh, content will be through video. I'm in a process right now of, of getting the, uh, uh, getting started with, um, research grant and uh just to get the equipment that i need to, to get started most of the videos that i have is just uh it's just text-based and image-based but uh we want to get uh get a green screen and uh and also make some youtube content because the uh the analytics are showing that youtube is a really a really popular um probably the most popular social media uh medium that younger young people are using so so i'd like to do double duty of making the videos and putting them on, on Facebook as well and YouTube as well. I think that's brilliant. Um, I recently did a, what I thought was a nothing video. Uh, it was a Facebook live video and I was on top of Nose Hill and it was one of the uh, darkest days that we had for the smoke that was coming from BC. And I just wanted mm-hmm. to show everybody like how bad it was. And Um, a lot of the Facebook and the Patreon account and all of these metrics that you can kind of ascertain how many people are following. It was that Facebook live video that we got some of the most um, engagement, which I was shocked about. So I I know uh, when I was running my campaign, I found that even doing a Facebook live videos or, or doing videos that we uploaded to the YouTube, I don't know, because I think voters are older, you know, that they just weren't as engaged with the videos as much as uh, a youth would be, right? So I think that there's a lot of great points that you made about the youth. I know my daughter, when she just has time, what is she watching? She's watching YouTube. So it's just a different form for kids this these days than it was for you and I when we grew up when, you know, is the CBC on? Is it Sunday at 6? And, you know, is there a good movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been yeah. really honored to chat with you. I'd love to continue these conversations and, uh, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll chat more through Facebook later and uh, find out if there's more that we can continue talking about. But are there any lasting thoughts that you want to uh, leave us with? And then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I definitely want to give uh, make a mention of the training that I did this morning, Circles for Reconciliation. It is um, it's something that I that is really catching on here in Winnipeg. Uh, Raymond Curie, he had this idea um, back when the when the interim report was of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was released. It um, it said at the, at the very bottom, the very end, that don't wait for the final report before you start doing something. And so what he did is met with some Indigenous people uh, here in the city and uh, just got some leadership together, and uh, they started this program where they do circles with five indigenous people, five non-indigenous people, and uh, they start these conversations. And uh, the program is 10 weeks long, and they train new facilitators. And their first goal was to try to get 100 of these circles going here in Winnipeg. And uh, since then, they've, they've easily 
you know, they, they started in 2017 and they've already surpassed their goal. They're about 500 circles. They've gotten, uh, over five, five, uh, 5,000 hours of, uh, of, or 5,000 people involved in these indigenous and non-indigenous discussions. And barriers have been being broken down and, uh, and, and one thing that, that really stood out to me from the training this morning is that everything is relation based. They, they chose 10 for a reason, uh, because, and 10 people and 10 weeks for a reason because that is, um, you know, the time that it takes to really build a relationship. And the first, the first circle is always just getting to know each other where you pass the talking stick around and everybody gets to share who they are, where they're from, why they're there and, and why they want uh, why they're excited about reconciliation. It's, it's not much different than how we started our conversation. And, uh, from there you, you start to realize these are human beings and these are people. And from the foundation of having a relationship, people are sharing, uh, information, they're asking questions, breaking down stereotypes. And, and at the end, people are fired up and they're saying, okay, well, where do we go from here and, and what differences can we make? And it, it ranges anywhere from people calling, contacting politicians to, uh, you know, just uh, you know, starting more circles, like people who have been through circles then get training and become facilitators in their own. And uh, so it, it, it's great. Um, and it's great to see that it's stretching out of Winnipeg to we have some circles starting in Toronto and some in Vancouver. So uh, I'm yeah, actually really just... gobsmacked hearing these numbers. I think it's the one most wonderful thing. And even for me, I think what I'll do is put together an email to send out to my um, circle because... I know there's a few of us, like especially a couple of the real social justice minded that are like, we want to do more. We want to do films. And I, I just always encourage them to do it. But at the same time, this might be, you know, the structure framework guideline that they might want and need in order to keep moving forward. Um, you know, the Kairos blanket exercise, it's so popular, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think there's it, it doesn't really start like it, it's a start as opposed to a relationship like you were discussing. And I really love what you're saying. And, you know, um, if we can get that started here in Calgary, I will in a second. Um, I'm pretty sure that there's lots of uh, partners willing. It's just a matter of getting it into the right door at the right time. And I'm really, really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's, it's really exciting to see. Like they, they, uh, they really, the person who started it, Ray McCurry, is, is uh, Dean Amaretis at, uh, at the University of Manitoba, and they've, they've done a lot of refining over the two years that they've done it, and they have in, all the content that's presented is done by, uh, it, it's, it's written originally by Indigenous scholars, and uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just great. Uh, it's a great vehicle for people who want to get involved and are not sure where to begin, and uh, yeah, the tablet is too, I just, I just, I would love to see it, uh, you know, take off in every city. Wow, that's incredible. Um, I think it's the CBC has a what looks like an awful reality show coming up where it takes uh, some non-Indigenous people and tours them around Canada to show them, you know, a little more about res life and, and what it's like to be Indigenous. And it looks like at the end there's a few that make a breakthrough that's like, hey, I had this wrong. And there's been a suggestion to have, like, uh, you know, watch the show with a group of people and then discuss it after. And I just don't know if I, if I'm in the mental headspace to be able to do that. Whereas with yours, it seems less traumatic um, doing it with that framework and, and it's structured. I think a lot of people like structure. So um, yeah. Have you heard about that show? 
Yeah, well, that's uh, I believe that's called first contact. If that's if that's correct, where that's the one. Yep. Something. Yeah, well, I'm I'm so excited about that one. I think it's just a fantastic idea, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to when it airs. And uh, and and that's the thing too. I think you hit the nail on the head. Is that uh, you know uh, one thing that at the circles of reconciliation that they they tell their instructors not to do is to jump on the topic of residential schools in your first week because um, it's it's such a heavy topic, you know, that, uh, you know, when you have, when you want to get into these deeper discussions, um, you know, you, you have to get some foundation building and that includes not only relational foundation, but, you know, going through the first couple of weeks of just getting them to understand the basics and, uh, and establishing trust. And, uh, you know, even, even in our training session, there wasn't a, a dry, I in the room, you know, when certain people were sharing their experiences. And so, so they always recommend to bring tissue boxes. So it, it's such a, it's, it's not just a matter of information exchange. There's a lot of emotional investment involved. And, uh, to try to, to try to get, you know, a lot of the, the more serious discussion, uh, on the very first week, the very first gathering, um, I think they show a lot of wisdom in saying, you know, don't, don't do that yet, you know. So, yeah. uh, Doing things like that over ten weeks makes sense, but there's also there's also I would say a lot of value in, in you know discussions of any type, you know, like getting people together and discussing, you know, the the first contact, you know, it's a, it's a I, I believe it's a three part series, but yeah, just have three discussions, you know, with a group after after the air, yeah. you know, I think uh, yeah, I, I I think that's a great idea. Wonderful. Well, it's such a pleasure to talk to you today. I can't thank you enough. James, for coming onto the show and and uh, telling me your point of view and what's going on in Winnipeg, I think uh, for even for myself, I need inspiration, and you definitely inspired me uh, with with the circle that you're working on and some of the stats that you told me. And it's just great to know that uh, this work is trying to be done all across the country by different people in different ways. And uh, there's no wrong way to work at this. So I just want to say thank you repeatedly. And I'll be sharing your videos. If there's anything coming up that you want me to share, I'd do it in a second as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. And, and likewise, I'm also very, uh, inspired and encouraged uh to see what you're doing with your podcast as well so i just yeah share be sharing your work as well and uh look forward to hearing how we could uh cooperate in the future that sounds great thank you um i'm just going to get my husband to pause us here i feel really inspired after um james joined us here on the show so I have a huge shout out to you, James, for for coming on the show and talking about what's going on in your area, in your neck of the woods. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that happened here in Calgary this week. Um, one of the things that I was really shocked about was a friend of mine was at Global Fest as a guest. And because she went, there was a ton of people that went with her that I'm lucky enough to call my friends as well. And they actually experienced... Um, a lot of awful violence by the uh, security. Um, when I say awful, from my point of view, anytime you, you know, manhandle a pregnant woman, that's wrong. Um, they didn't slam her on the floor, but not that that makes it better or anything like that. The fact that you have to justify your existence when you're supposed to be a guest about reconciliation is awful to me. And um, it was really hard, really hard to watch my friend go through that. We had uh, 
finally some media coverage of the whole event. And the videos went quite um, viral, so I was surprised it took this long and uh, didn't seem like anybody in Calgary wanted to touch it, uh, which is really a shame. But thankfully, Indian Country Today uh, finally posted an um, article about it, so you might see uh, Thomas Snow and Shalom uh, and their beautiful smiling faces as the article, and uh, and it says pregnant Indigenous woman grabbed, detained at the Multicultural uh, Global Fest. So I think that gives me a good segue to talk uh, again about cultural safety and actions that you can take to create a safer place for Indigenous people to speak. Because um, having good intentions is not enough. You need to take action to make change. You need to speak out against racism. Uh, you need to ask questions of those with understanding. So what that means directly is you need to listen. Um, there are a lot of people that really don't want to listen to what people are saying, and, and there needs to be that understanding. Uh, we need to find allies, and we need to create a support system. Uh, taking responsibility for your own learning. Uh, the whole reason why I put out this podcast is because we need an understanding. Um, if you really do care about Indigenous issues and and our thoughts and our opinions, then you need to listen to us and not constantly interrupt us. So, you know, reflect on what we're saying to you. And if you're looking for questions, I mean, I don't understand this new generation. Um, in my my time, when I was growing up, I had to know when the library was open, figure out my schedule accordingly, go to the library, look things up in the encyclopedia. Whereas today, everybody's holding Google, like in their hands, holding it. So it's really hard for me to understand why everyone has all these questions when all the answers are so incredibly um, available. Um, we just had James from Reconciliation Thunder on our podcast. He's putting out the 94 Calls to Action. If you Google the 94 Calls to Action, they're free, downloadable. So take responsibility for your own learning. Take some time for some self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and bias. Uh, question everything that you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. So, for example, um, I was at uh, what should be a safe place for me, but wasn't, and was told that all Natives are drunks by somebody who has literally been spending months with me. And clearly, I'm not a drunk Native. And I think that that idea of self-reflection and really disrupting those stereotypes are really difficult ideas for some people. And I hope that uh, in time, people can really start questioning themselves. On the conversation we were having with James, there's a CBC show coming out called First Contact. This is a great example of that self-reflection. Uh, commit to lifelong learning. Hey, if you're listening to my show, that's awesome. I'm sure you're prepared to be uncomfortable. Um, understanding colonialism and the legacy of colonialism and racism is, is hard. Um, again, if you Google cultural safety boundaries, one that I, I've been referencing a lot is uh, heretohelp.bc.ca. They have a really great um, you know, structure on that and create safe places. I was at a community meeting. No land acknowledgement, no guidelines and boundaries on how to you know, conduct a conversation so that people who didn't feel safe talking about a certain subject, they came and they left. There was no room for them to speak. And I think that we need to be honest about what a safer and countable space looks like. So 
definitely encourage people to start doing more. Um, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. I witnessed some racism at um, one of the places I love to eat in the whole wide world, KFC. I think anyone from Yellowknife understands this. So another thing I encourage are do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. Uh, if you witness public instances of racism or anti-trans, uh, anti-conversations, you know, do your best to safely intervene. If you Google, there's a ton of information. Um, American Friends Service Committee gave me some good ones. Um, make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact. Take cues from the individual being harassed. And do what you need to do to keep yourself safe. Don't call the police because a lot of people from marginalized communities are not actually uh, being treated well and they're at a greater uh, cause for danger than the person likely doing the harassing. Don't escalate the situation. Do not incite further violence from the attacker. And, but don't do anything. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. So, uh, yesterday the flag of the pride flag went up at the municipality, uh, municipality building and, um, a lot of the pride events kicked off. So I was really honored to be at a few of them. I want to give a big shout out to Calgary pride. They actually donated, um, $2,500 to voices. And we we're, I was really shocked and honored. I left an event that was talking about, uh, language decoding. And, uh, I will talk about that, but you know, they were having a private event at, uh, Yuck Yucks and I got on stage and that's a funny experience, let me tell you. But, uh, you know, they, they gave voices $2,500 and last year they gave money to Skipping Stone. Skipping Stone helps trans youth get, uh, medical interventions that they require. And, uh, yeah, it's, that's a great organization, but of course, voices talks about the racism that we face within, um, the LGBTQ2 plus community and the uh, service industries that uh, go after that. So um, I wanted to say a special thanks to Julie, who became one of our Patreon accounts. She actually offered more than uh, what we had before. So I really appreciate that. And the reason why it matters to me is that on a regular basis, I get uh, private messages or emails from people asking for free, free labor. And I know a lot of our um, Indigenous leaders have said, don't do this anymore. And that is part of the reason why we created the Patreon account. And um, just wanted to read a bit of a response I gave to the person. And um, they were asking about, you know, an upcoming seminar that they wanted to do about um, human trafficking. And they wanted to do a special honor to their words, MMIG. So this was my response. I said, the MMIWG2 Calgary Committee met and we're getting prepared for the annual October 4th Sisters in Spirit Vigil. This year's theme is unity. As well, the English family is preparing a walk leading up to that vigil from Pakani. Um, I suspect I'll be unable to attend your event because of my commitment to the English family, but I don't need to be there. You may be able to get a representative from Awaton Healing Lodge or another MMIW G2 Calgary committee member. Josie Nipponak is the executive director of Aoton Healing Lodge and the chair of MMIW G2 Calgary committee. Offer her tobacco and a donation to Aoton for Sisters in Spirit and I'm sure she will come to your event as a keynote. I hope that helps. 
Please know that many indigenous, myself included, replying to this email, don't get any payment for the emotional traumatic work that we do, and we generally have to miss work to attend, which our employers look down upon us for. That is why sometimes we can't reply, or like myself on personal emails, can't reply until the weekend on devices that generally crash. Lastly, I noticed that your acronym did not include a 2. 2 or 2S stands for Two-Spirit. Two-Spirit are LGBTQ2+, that face colonialism, racism, internalized racism, as barriers that non-Indigenous do not face. Their issues are not properly recognized by mainstream non-Indigenous organizations, just as Awatan deals with family violence very differently than mainstream non-Indigenous domestic violent organizations. I passed a policy to get organizations to start recognizing Two-Spirit in their acronyms. It's the maybe a least or the least we can do to start non-Indigenous organizations to see colonialism and racism within their own organizations. So maybe we can start there, even though I cannot attend. And then signed it, gave him my um, info, etc. So that is part of the reason why I'm doing this is that people always want to pick my brain. Well, if you want to pick my brain, just listen to my podcast. Send me your questions because um, it's a lot easier for me to do it in this way and maybe answering questions for other people as well. And I mean, the hope is is that sooner or later we're all on the same page. And I don't know if that's going to happen in my lifetime, but I'd like to hope so. Um, Tonight, I'm going to be going to a stride event that's going to be at um, 1006 McLeod Trail. And that starts at, I want to say eight, but that might be the time I have to start volunteering. And of course, we have our big um, events that are happening. If you go to calgarypride.com, you'll see a bunch of those. And as a co-founder of Voices, if you are a person who identifies as queer, trans, um, black, indigenous, a person of color, you are absolutely invited to come march with us. And this is uh, September 2nd at, uh, we're probably going to meet around 10. The march starts at 11. But if you want to come even earlier, you're more than welcome to. And we can start doing uh, poster making and stuff like that. I think we're going to have a poster making event as well. So just check our uh, Facebook and our Twitter and our website for those types of details and yeah i think that's a lot in one day so if you have any thoughts questions nativeyyc at gmail.com my patreon account is native calgarian where you can pledge and support again a huge thank you to kenna sharon diana judy nathan amanda and now julie for already showing their support to our show if you value listening and can afford to give thank you for those who cannot afford to give but listen in I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your questions. We're also available on iTunes and Google Play. And lastly, I just want to say thank you to my husband, Darcy, for always putting up this information and uh, doing the editing and the sound. And it matters the world to me that, you know, you're so encouraging and and doing this work for me. So thank you, my, my dear husband. All right. With that, thank you for listening. You're listening to Native Calgarian.